Great. My name is Pastor Chris. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. It's so good for us to be together, and you never quite know what to expect whenever we gather together. Amen? But it's always good to, uh, to experience it together. Um, if you're just joining us for the, for the first time today, I want to welcome you personally. I'm so glad that you're here. Maybe a friend or a family member invited you. Uh, maybe you just uh, find yourself here today by what you think is chance. I know uh, that as long as I've been following God, I've realized one thing, that uh, there aren't really too many coincidences. Often they're divine appointments that God has for us. It's him doing something special beyond what we could ever imagine. And um, So I don't know why you're here today. Um, who convinced you to come or, or whether you just walk through our doors, I just believe for every single one of us, God has something he wants to say to us as we're together. And the way that we uh, come to God is uh, we come in worship, as we just sang, but we also come to his word. And as we open up the word of God, the scriptures, the Bible, um, we pray that the Lord will speak to us. And so I'm just going to pray right now that God would speak to us um, a word that we would call in season, meaning that he would speak to us something that is very applicable, not just for today, Sunday the 18th, but the season that we might be walking through in this life. And uh, wherever you find yourself, I'm just believing God's going to use this word in this series, uh, this special series that we're walking through uh, to just continue to speak to us, challenge us, and leave us different, changed in his presence. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Jeremiah chapter 31? Jeremiah chapter 31. This series is called Fulfilled. What we've been doing is we've been studying in the Old Testament scriptures. Now these uh, Old Testament scriptures were written um, 2,500 or more years ago um, and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. But the amazing thing we find when we read in the Old Testament are that there are these prophecies or promises that God made long ago, long before Jesus was ever born, 2,000 years ago, about who Jesus would be, how he would come, and most importantly, what he would do for you and for me. And when we look at that, it becomes this amazing, I mean, how many of us can really guarantee what we're going to do tomorrow? How many of us can guess what we're going to do next week and where we're going to be a year from now? Um, I, you know, we, we see how life takes us on so many journeys. So to see in Scripture, in black and white, these promises and these specific details about who Jesus would be, it's breathtaking, it's amazing, and honestly, it's mathematically impossible for all of these to become true and be seen in the life and ministry of one person. But we're seeing that in this series every single week. Uh, come to reality. So I'm going to pray for the message right now. I invite you to close your eyes and just bow your hearts with me as we just come before the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, I need your help today to speak this word with clarity. Lord God, for your Holy Spirit to come now is what I ask and to allow this word to be written on our hearts. Lord, this prophecy says that's exactly what you'll do, Lord God, that there will be a day that comes and by your Holy Spirit's power, you'll write your word on our hearts to help us walk in a new way, and I just ask for that today. Lord, I ask for the fullness of what you've done and what you've purchased for us on the cross to be made known to us, Lord God, and that is the good news, the gospel is preached today. Lord, I pray for hearts that will respond. Lord, I pray for someone today. It is the day of salvation for them. They don't even know it yet. It's the day that will change their lives forever. Lord God, speak to them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
man, we welcome those that are watching online with us as well. And if you're here in our service, you can take out your bulletin. And I would encourage you to take notes in some of these passages we're going to be talking about so you can continue to study later. If you're watching online, we have a great notes feature I was made aware of, so you could take notes right there uh, in the screen. So we just let's dive in. Let's really get the most out of God's Word today. Um, if you have your uh, fulfilled series guide, that's a great place for you to take notes as well. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, I want to give you a little bit of context for what we're going to be talking about today. God makes a promise through uh, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament scripture, and as he's making this promise, it's about days that are coming later. And God says, I'm going to do something that's going to seem a lot like what happened in the past, but it's going to be brand new, and it's going to change history. And so this is what God's promising the prophet Jeremiah, that a day is coming, a time is coming, when I'm going to change and transform what a relationship with my people looks like. And church, we're the recipients of that, so it's important that we understand it, because you and I are living out the promise that God made to Jeremiah the prophet. So let's read together in verse 31 and 32. It says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, say new covenant, new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and I led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So here's what the Lord says. A day is coming in the future when I am going to make a new covenant with my people, a new relationship, a new promise. And it's not going to be just like the one that I had already made. And the Lord says when. God says when he made that promise, when he made that covenant. He said, I made it with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. This brings us all the way back to the book of Exodus at the beginning of the Bible. It's the second book of the Bible that we read all the way there at the beginning. And in Exodus, we see the story about the people of God, God's chosen people, his followers. They find themselves in slavery in Egypt. They got comfortable in Egypt for a season and before long they were taken as captives and it was only by the word of God, by a promise that he made, by a covenant he made with them, that they were able to be rescued, that they would be set free from Egypt. And so I want us to just look here in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, to understand what that promise, what that covenant is that God makes with his people. In Exodus 6, 6, here's what God says. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you. Say that with me. I will redeem you. This is what the Lord says. With an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God said to them, a people in slavery, a people whose situation and plight was hopeless, I will redeem you. And I want you to know, when God says it, God means it. And when God says it, God does it. And he said, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched hand. And I'm going to redeem you with these miraculous signs of judgment. I will do it, declares the Lord. And so what Jeremiah, we look back in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is long after this moment in time in Exodus. This is long after the people passed through the, dry, uh, the, the, the Red Sea as on dry ground. This is long after they've entered into the promised land that God gave them. Because the people in their hearts had a problem called sin. Unfortunately, of all the medical professionals and all the things and all the advancements in science we have, I want you to know there's one cure that we never have found, and on this side of eternity, we will never find the ultimate cure that we can create in a test tube for sin. You know that? 
Sin is something that plagues our hearts. Sin is a disease. It's something that has overtaken us. And I want you to know, in our own strength and in our own research, there is no cure for sin in this life. Do you realize that? Sin is something that we all deal with. None of us are exempt from. Sin was the problem that broke the first covenant. God said, I made a promise. I rescued them. I redeemed them. But what happens is they kept on sinning. Sin was great in their hearts, and they continued to sin. And sin is when we do the thing we shouldn't do. It's when we are off the mark, when we miss God's standard for our lives, when we choose to do something that ultimately breaks God's law, breaks God's way, and breaks relationship with God. It's us acting in our own way, in our own selfish way. And what happens is sin leads to slavery. Sin ultimately leads us to a place where we're not in control anymore. See, Jesus said, like, is anyone who sins becomes a slave to sin. Are you with me, church? Say, man, what what message do we get into today? Hear me, because we got to talk about the bad news before we can talk about the great news. Are you with me? And so sin becomes a reality. Sin was the problem. Sin was the problem God said. He said, they broke my covenant. How? By sinning. They broke it. But he said, don't worry. The days are coming when I'm going to make a new covenant, when I'm going to deal with this issue of sin once and for all. But I'm going to make a way. He said, this covenant's going to be a brand new covenant. It's going to be one where I'm going to come and I'm going to redeem my people in a brand new way. And in the person and ministry of Jesus, we have talked about him as God with us. We have talked about him as the King of Kings, that is the promised Messiah in the line of David. We have talked about Jesus as the anointed one. We have talked about Jesus last week as a suffering servant. And this week, we get to talk about Jesus as our redeemer, the one who redeems our life from the pit, the one who rescues us out of slavery and out of death and out of sin, the one who gives us a brand new life. He's the one who redeems. My redeemer lives. I don't know about you. He is alive. He is alive. My redeemer lives. This is what we're talking about today. Think about the word redeem. What does it mean to redeem? I have a couple definitions I stumbled upon um, in the weeks leading up to this. And one of them is this, to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something. And the second one is to gain or regain possession of something or someone in exchange for payments. When we think about the biblical definition for this. We really see that grounded in the second one. This idea of redemption is a word that shows up in the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it's the idea that means to purchase, to gain back, to possess by means of payment. Think of the word ransom. Whenever someone has been taken captive and there is a ransom that's needed to be paid so that they could be set free. This is the idea of what it means to redeem someone. So redemption is ultimately about purchasing back. We'd see this in, the, in history as a way of bringing someone out of slavery. That if someone was in bondage or even in slavery, that they would need to be redeemed. They would need to be set free and there would need to be a price that is paid for their freedom. I want you to know today that there has been a price paid for your freedom today. There's been the price has already been paid, but the question is, are you free? Uh, Have you experienced the reality of that? Have you experienced the gift of that in your own life? We talked about the idea of sin creating a, a slavery within us. It creates a bondage. And ultimately, it creates a way that leads us not into life, but death. 
Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, the wages of sin is death. We think about this idea of sin. We say, what is that? That must be killing and, and, and stealing and doing these very terrible things. And, you know, I've read a little bit out of the Bible. I know about the Ten Commandments and the, those things. You know, that, that's sin. I want you to know sin is a lot broader than that. Uh, sin is about missing the mark. Sin is about ultimately doing that which we shouldn't. And Jesus, when he came onto the scene, he helped people fully understand what this means. Because what we like to do is we always like to compare and we always like to categorize. And we say, you know, there's really bad sins, like those terrible ones. And man, I could never forgive someone for that. So therefore, God could never forgive uh, us of that. So those are the really bad ones. But these things over here, um, these don't matter. These are fine. Everyone does these things. Everyone looks at that. They look at a little bit of that. They, they take part in a little bit of that kind of talk. They, they, they do this over here. And, and no one knows about it. It's not hurting anyone. So that's not really a big uh, sin. And we kind of categorize, don't we? We kind of create our own categories and our own weights for these things. But I want you to know the wages of sin is death. And all sin is sin, is sin, is sin. And Jesus, as he comes, he says, I know that some of you think it's just about killing, but I want you to know what already is happening in your heart. If you're coming against them, slandering them, tearing them down, you're already sinning against them, and you might as well have murdered. He said these things are not um, in and of, you know, they're not as different as you think they are. I want you to know the things that happen, some of the most traumatic things we'll see in this life, the taking of a life, um, terrible forms of sin. I want you to know long before they're ever perpetrated, they begin in the heart. Do you know that? That something goes backwards in the heart. Sin begins to grow in the heart and in dark places and in places that ultimately have been set aside, hidden. If there are hidden compartments in your life where you're entertaining things that you know are wrong, that you know are not right, that especially you know God would not be pleased with, um, you know that you're, you're harboring, you're, you're, you're tending to some things that you think you're in control of. But here's what I've learned time and time and time again. Sin that we think we can control will eventually control us. The things that you think you're in control of and you think you're managing, you have no idea, but the tentacles of those things are going into your life and they're leading you down a road that will destroy you. Because I know this, the wages of sin is death. The mission statement of the enemy is to kill, steal, and destroy. And I want you to know so many of the things that we think are pets and hobbies and hidden things in our lives are the things that are actually marking us to take us out. This is the truth of God's word. And so the wages of sin is death. It's not that God is going around looking that any would perish. It says he does not want none to perish, but everyone to be free from this issue of sin. But he says this is something we have to realize and we have to get over and we have to work through. And so with this in mind and with us thinking about this, the wages of sin is death. We have to think about the choices that we make in this life. Every choice has the power to lead us somewhere. We can make choices that benefit us in this life. We can make choices that will destroy our lives. Every choice is a consequence. One to steal or to murder carried with it great punishment all the time. Today and in biblical times, that would happen as well. And ultimately, there are different types of punishment or consequences reserved for judgment that happens against someone. And we saw that in the biblical times as well, where in that time, there would be different ways that people would deal with punishment because of the choices that others have made and if you've done something that was worthy of a certain form of punishment then you'd be punished in that way one of the most extreme ways that someone could be punished and will be punished 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus 
would be to be hung on a cross and crucified. This was not something that was brand new that Jesus uh, invented or was just invented during, uh, during when, when we see Jesus on a cross. I want you to know we see crosses all around uh, now and some of you would be wearing one on your neck. But I want you to know if you go back 2,000 years ago, that would be the most foreign and weird concept that anyone would imagine because this was just a vile way of executing people. Are you with me, church? This was just a, a treacherous way of dealing with someone. It was so humiliating. It was, it was something that was so shameful and embarrassing because as often we paint these pictures that don't often line up uh, with actually what was happening in the first century. I think many of us, we have this picture of Jesus as a white Swedish guy with long flowing hair. I want you to know that's not what he looks like. Uh, that's not what he would have looked like in that time. We know that for sure. Um, and he isn't Jim Caviezel either. So um, we get these pictures and we get a picture when we think about Jesus dying on the cross for us and we think, well, he was up on this mountain called Calvary. Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about? He's up on Calvary, and so you're thinking up on a mountain will be really far away. I mean, somewhere up and far away. I want you to know that as we were in our last trip in Israel, we heard two or three different people that had studied this talk to us about it, and they said, you know, the crucifixion of Jesus and when people were crucified, they weren't crucified far away from everyone because they were being set as examples. So Calvary would have been a, a, a mount, it would have been an elevated area, and we, we've been in those very areas but slightly elevated above everything else, so kind of a part of the terrain, but it'd be right in the edge of a road. There would have been a road that went right by there that people would have been traveling. I see a couple people that were in Israel with us. Remember, we saw that, and then you'd see that it would have been right on a road. It would have been right in a main area where people would have been passing by. That's why they would have hurled insults. That's why it was so uh, degrading for someone to be crucified and, and killed in this way. And so this was reserved for the outcasts of society. This was um, really set apart for criminals. This was set apart for those who had really become uh, very terrible and violent criminals, even murderers. They would be crucified. But we see 2,000 years ago, there's a man that's crucified in the midst of all of these people that have all this judgment that's come upon them because of the choices that they have made in this life, because of the sin that they had taken part in. But there's one that's in the middle of them, and as they hang him on this cross and they elevate him up, they then attach something above him in three languages, and it says, the king of the Jews, Jesus. And in the midst of these criminals, in the midst of these sinners, in the midst of those that deserved even what was coming upon them, there's a man who came, who was born of a virgin, who never sinned, who walked around healed, restored, forgave, and even rose the dead to life. And at the end of his earthly life, he's crucified on a cross. And I want you to know that that too, just like every other person that found themselves there, was because of a choice. This is something we have to realize when you think about the story of Jesus and the story of the gospel. We can think that Jesus had come to do something and somehow his plan got derailed and somehow he got taken advantage of and he was beaten and he was whipped and he was hung on a cross as though he was caught off guard. I want you to know this, that Jesus came for that very reason, to die for you and for me. Do you realize that? And we see how sad it is. And we see how everything uh, unfolded. In fact, there's a moment where Pontius Pilate and the other leaders are just coming to Jesus and they're talking because in the midst of him about to be crucified in front of the one who could actually stop that process from happening, Jesus is silent. And he said, won't you speak up? Won't you say something to me? Don't you know I have the power to save you? 
We're telling, this man's telling Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I have the power to save you. Just let that sit in for a moment. Jesus, <laughs> he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I'm going to take it back up again. Think about that. That as he's about to go to the Christ, says, no one takes my life from me. I came, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as what? A ransom for many. I came to redeem you. I came to save. And they didn't know the one that thought he had the power to save was the one in need of the most saving. The ones that thought they had the power and thought they had everything, the man they were hanging on a cross was the one who had the power to redeem their lives, to set them free. And this is what Jesus did when he went to the cross for you and for me. Why did Jesus die on the cross for us? It was because God loved us so much that he sent his son. Jesus says it in John 15, 13, like this, greater love has none than this, that one man lays down his life for his friends. Jesus died for you and for me. Do you know why? Because the wages of sin is death. Sin creates a debt in our lives. It's a debt that's too big for us to carry. It's a debt that's overwhelming. It's a debt that we could never dig ourselves out of. That's the wages of sin. The repayment for that sin in our lives is something we could never pay in and of our own strength. But I'm so thankful that Romans 6, 23, I only gave you half of that verse because it says the wages of sin is death, but. How many of you are thankful for the but in our lives for those moments? So this is where I was, but for the grace of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's, it's eternal life. That's the gift that God sends. That's the gift that God gives to us. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die? Jesus died to pay a debt. He paid a ransom. He was doing something to redeem us. Here's what you need to know today if you know nothing else. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt that he didn't owe. It wasn't because of his sin. It wasn't because of his brokenness. It wasn't because of anything that he ended up on the cross. He was there to pay a debt that he didn't owe. And it was because of you and me, because we owed a debt we could never pay in and of our own strength. In a million lifetimes, in everything we have, we couldn't pay the penalty to, all, the, to ultimately redeem our lives. And Jesus came to do just that. He came so that you and I could be free. And the Bible says who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Jesus comes to give us a freedom that we can never have in anything else. He comes to give you a life you can never find in any other way. He comes to give you something, a joy, a peace, a purpose, a fulfillment that no one can ever take away from you. This is why he came to fulfill your life and to give you all of that to redeem you back for whatever pit you might find yourself in. Because death for us becomes a final resting place if we don't have Jesus. Death is the end. I can remember as a young child, I always kind of from a young age, I always wondered about death. And I didn't grow up in a church. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a ministry like this where, where I could understand fully about Jesus and what he had come to do for me. So I grappled with those questions. And, and I had no idea what would happen. And I was afraid of that. And before long, I just became numb to it. And I thought, you know what? Whenever that happens, when I die, nothing happens. It's just, I never even thought about what happened after death. I just thought it was just, it's just nothing. I became an atheist. I didn't believe God was real. And I just lived my life only worried about what happened in the day. But I had a friend named Mike. 
and Mike cared about me, and he, he became a friend to me, and Mike would have these awkward conversations he'd want to have with me, and I could tell he was trying to talk about something, and I'm like, Mike, what, what's up? What do you want to talk about? He said, you ever think about what happens when you die? And I'm like, no, you know, <laughs> that's weird. Like, why are you talking about that? No, I'm, I'm not thinking about that. I don't, I, you know, and he's like, you know that, you know, do you believe God's real? And if he's real, you know, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Do you believe in any, any of them? I'm like, I, I don't know, Mike. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't really think about that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's like we're putting that off. You know, I heard one person say it like this. We always prepare for the next step in our lives. Do you ever think about that? We're preparing for every single step that we're going to take. We're preparing whenever you're a child or we're parents of children, you're preparing for your first steps. And then you're preparing for your first day of school. Then you're preparing for your last day of school. And you're preparing to work. You're preparing to drive. There's all this preparation that's needed because we know we're about to take another step in our life and in our journey. And then we're preparing for college and then preparing for marriage and then preparing for work and a career, then preparing for retirement. How many feel prepared for retirement? Ugh, that's scary, right? But I want you to know, the biggest step you're ever going to take in this life is often the one people are most and least, uh, least prepared for, the step into the grave. What happens for that step? Don't worry if you're not, are you prepared to retire? Are you prepared to expire? <laughs> are you prepared for that step? Are we prepared to actually go? And what is that going to look like? And what does that mean? I coined that. That's new. I didn't think about it. It's on my notes. That's good. <laughs> Mandy started laughing. She liked that one. Are we prepared for that step? If we're not prepared for that step, we're, what are we doing? We're just putting off. Putting off something the Bible promises is inevitable. As a teenager, I never thought about those things. And I didn't go to some service, and I wasn't guilted into anything. I wasn't given some message, if you don't do this, you know, these, these are the terrible consequences that are coming. I, it, was not, it was none of that. I, I showed up to a service. And it was in that moment that I learned about a God who loved me. And a couple things happened. One is I saw the, the truth of, of who God is and what God has been doing. And something deep in my heart, deep in my spirit, this is the truth. This is, there's something here. And it was the presence of the Holy Spirit convincing me, convicting me that this is, this is the truth. This is God. And I, I made a deal. I prayed a prayer to a God I didn't even know if it was real. And I said, God, if you're real, then just show me. Prove it to me. Give me, give me something, Lord, because I I'll follow you. I have no purpose in this life. I don't, I don't feel that I have any purpose. I want you to know, if, if you don't have a relationship with God and you, have, you, you don't have faith in that way, then what, what does purpose look like in your life? You're just living for the moment, living for today? Because the Bible promises that there's a day that's coming when we expire from this life. And what's waiting on the end, what's waiting there, is life and death for eternity, heaven and hell. We can really have two, two choices that we can make. We can either live once and die twice or die once and live twice, the Bible promises. Because there's a death after this death. It's reserved, ultimately, complete separation from God, complete separation from for eternity. But there's also life that waits in the balance. That's why Jesus came, to show us the way, to share the good news, to make a way where there is no way so that you and I could have a confidence that we, when we come to the end of this life, we will be with him for eternity. Jesus came to redeem us, not just from the pains we feel in this life, not just from a physical death, but from a spiritual death for eternity, he came to rescue us, to give us eternal life. It's the greatest gift that you could ever receive. It's the greatest gift that has ever been given. And here's what I want you to know if you're afraid of death today, if you've wrestled with anything like I've wrestled with, 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15 talks about why Jesus came and why Jesus died. It says, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives slaves to the fear of death or dying. This is why he came. This is why Jesus died for our sins. This is why he, he paid the price we could never pay so that we could have life for eternity. We go back to Jeremiah's prophecy here. In Jeremiah chapter 31, this is what he says. He says, this is the covenant. So I told you, he said, a time's coming when I want to make a brand new covenant with you. It's not going to be like the covenant in Egypt. It's going to be a new covenant. And now he's describing what that covenant is. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel in that day. At that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts, declares the Lord. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will know me. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This is the promise that God makes to us, that he would be making a new covenant. And through that covenant, God would not remember our sins or our wickedness anymore. Our sin would be re removed from us. And his law, his ways will be written on our hearts. This is what he said would happen. And he said, this new covenant. Now, when Jesus sat with his disciples at the Last Supper, right before he goes to the cross, Jesus takes the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. What did he say about the cup? This is what? A new covenant in my blood. For you and I, when Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his blood for us, he was signing that new covenant in his own blood that you and I now would be able to experience the hope of eternity, that everyone who put their faith in Jesus, everyone who trusted and called upon his name, everyone who received that free gift could pass from death to life. This is the new covenant. Jesus came to bring it to, into fruition. He came to bring the new covenant to us and establish it with his own life, his death, his blood. For me, when I heard the good news, because it's great news, that God had given that great gift of his son for me, it changed everything. When I first really understood John 3.16, in light of all that we've been talking through today. For God so loved the world. That's not the globe, it's all of us. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Because God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Someone gets it, some people get it wrong. We still think Jesus just came for that purpose, to make us feel so bad about where we are and who we are. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world through him. Jesus came to redeem us as our redeemer. And that truth changed my life when I realized Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe because I owed a debt I couldn't pay. And that it was a free gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's the gift that God sent us and gave us when he sent his son into this world. It's the gift that God gave us when Jesus hung on the cross for you and for me. When Jesus was there and he was between these two men that were guilty in their sin. They, they were getting what they deserved and Jesus wasn't. And one of them that hung on the cross began to mock Jesus. And he said, come on, you said you're this Messiah. You're this God. Come down off that cross. And he's hurling insults at him in the other man is hanging there and he said quit it we deserve what we're getting 
This man has done nothing wrong. And he then began to believe that Jesus was who God said he was. And he said, when you get into paradise today, remember me. And Jesus said, I tell you this, you'll be with me today in paradise. Man, you know what that tells me? It tells me it doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter where I've gone. It doesn't matter the things that I've done. I can't keep trying to earn my way into God's favor, earn my way into his worth, because he loves me right where I am, right in the most broken place that he can look at a man on a cross. And I don't know that guy's story, but I don't need to, because all I learned through that is the depths of the love of God. Uh, and, and God said it like this, it's not going to be the same covenant I made with you that I made with you in Egypt, but here's what I love. He says, I redeemed them with an outstretched arm. And now when he saved us, it was with two outstretched arms. Hung on the cross, there pierced for our transgressions, broken for our iniquities, everything cast upon him. But he was redeeming us all the way so that you and I could be set free from our sin and from our death. And today... Man, you got to stop trying to gauge your life. I'm talking to the believers in the room that you're trying to make yourself worthy of God's love in some way. I want you to know he doesn't see it that way. He loves you right where you are. He loves you right as you are. For someone in the room, you think no one could ever love me. I've been told that I'm unlovable. I've been told these things about myself. It's been just set in my heart. I want you to know that God loves you today. He loves you right where you are. He loves you as you are, not as you're pretending to be. He loves you where you are right now. He doesn't wait for you to become worthy. He doesn't wait for you to get your life together. He didn't wait for us to get our act together before he sent his son. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, God showed us the greatest expression of his love to save us. And now today, here's what happens. When you come to Jesus broken, when you come to him, wherever you are today, when you stop waiting on the sidelines to get your stuff together and you just come to him, you experience the full weight of his love in your life you experience the depths of his forgiveness it does something deep and transforming inside of you you become reborn as the bible says and you become a new creation and here's what happens your life becomes now shaped by that love and what happens now isn't you trying to earn your way it's the power of the holy spirit changing your life changing the way you live. It's not behavior modification now. It's total transformation. It's the Bible and the word of God coming to life. This is what God promises. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to kind of come to our response. I'll invite the worship team to come. There's this word that's in my heart that uh, God just, since early in the morning, uh, it, it was one of the passages we had been studying for some time and looking at in Isaiah and these prophecies have been rich with just seeing and seeing Jesus in new eyes. But Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, I want you to hear this because the Lord speaks this to you today. He speaks it to me. Whatever it is that we're facing in this life. I want to encourage you in this moment to hear this word. And I want to kind of challenge you with this. So just close your eyes right where you're at, and you can write this down. You can turn there. You can read it in a few moments, but just close your eyes and just hear this word first. This is what the Lord says to us today. Thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you're our Savior. Here's what he he wants you to know. He knows you by name. He knew me by name. I believe he knew me by name before I knew him by name. That he loved me while I was still a sinner. He loved me before I came to him. Do you know that? That if he loves us before we've come to him, if if he's loved us before we've asked him to love us, here's what I know for sure. He loved me when I was in a place of brokenness. He loved me when I was in a place of disconnection. He loved me whenever I was far from him. And I had been through every type of church. I'd been in and out of churches. I had family members who were believers and they tried to share with me. And every single time I rejected, every time I pushed it away. But there was one relationship in my life, a a guy named Mike who cared about me. And I believe this. I believe God put Mike in my life for that very reason. Because God loved me and knew me. And he knew through that relationship, somehow I'd I'd say yes to that invitation. And Mike extended invitation that so many others had extended and was completely fruitless. But through that one relationship, through that one invitation, I stand before you today. Because without that invitation, I wouldn't be here, I don't believe. I wouldn't have surrendered my life to Jesus. I don't know where I would be. But for some of you, some of you in a room this size, you've responded to a salvation invitation that I've given, and you've given your heart to Jesus in the last couple of years. Here's what I believe. If it weren't for Mike's invitation, you might not be here either. Have you thought about that? Have you thought like that, that you wouldn't be here? And some of you, you've heard a response from me, and you have gone on to lead someone else to the Lord. And they might not be here either if it weren't not for me, for Mike's invitation. His availability in that moment, here's what I believe that God knows us by name and he knows those that we know by name that don't yet know him. And I believe that in this season, God is preparing the grounds for many that don't yet know him to come to know him as the redeemer, for those that have found themselves in pits and in places they could never imagine. They're far from God today. God's drawing them and preparing the way for them to come home. He knows them by name. And we're going to believe together that God's going to allow us to see them come to Christ as well. Today, he knows you by name. Do you know him by name? As I told you, as the thief hung on the cross next to Jesus, as those that were there, they were completely condemned. But the one who called upon Jesus was made a promise by Jesus. And Romans 10, 13 says this, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you now know this. You know that Jesus paid a debt you could never pay in of your own strength. You know the good news. You know about what Jesus did and why he came. The question is, what will you do with that truth? What will you do with that gift? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me again today? And I want to extend an opportunity for you to respond to the word that you've just heard. Today, you might feel very far from God, but something has been stirring inside of you as the word of God has been spoken out today. And I know that I know that I know that that's the Holy Spirit stirring and prompting and preparing. 
And today I want to extend an invitation to you. If you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never accepted and received that gift, here's what you have to do. You have to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You have to acknowledge your need for him, confess your sins, and turn your life towards him. And if you're willing to do that, you're receiving the greatest gift you could ever receive. And today I won't pretend to know any of your journeys, but here's what I know. You alone know where you stand. You alone know if you're ready for what happens when that day comes and you expire from this life. You alone know deep inside of you whether you're right with God or not. And today, if you're not right with God, I don't want you to leave that way. So if you can hear the sound of my voice and you say, Pastor, today's the day that I just want to give everything to Jesus. I want to, I want to really just fully commit to follow him with my life. I want to experience the gift of, of, of him coming to redeem me. I want to give my life to follow Jesus. If that's you right now, just lift your hand right where you're sitting, high above your head. Praise God. If there's any others around the room, there's hands going up. Is there anyone else? Just lift your hand high. If you're watching online, if that's you, just please respond in this moment that that's you. Amen. In the balcony, is there anyone? Just put your hand up. Praise God. Praise God. There's some hands that went up around the room today. We're going to just say this prayer from the bottom of our hearts. And I encourage you, church body, just say it with me right now. And let's just say this is an act of recommitment of all of our hearts to Jesus, our Redeemer. Pray, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. And today, I give my whole heart, my whole life, to you. Come in. Lead me and guide me. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate with those that made that decision? Come on, let's celebrate with heaven for those that made a decision to follow Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, there's two steps that you could take today. The first one is, is let someone know about it. And the best way to do that is just text the word Jesus to this number. And that lets us know. I'd love to personally congratulate you and connect with you now that you've made that decision. The second thing you could do is you could take your next step. That if you have made a decision to follow Jesus, but you've never been baptized, guess what? This Tuesday night at our Selah service, we're doing baptisms. We're going to be worshiping God and doing baptism. So you want to come out. We have a few people that have already signed up, but we could take some more. So if you've never been baptized in water, maybe a Sunday morning intimidates you, but you know that you're ready. This is going to be a little bit more of an intimate environment. We're going to be doing these baptisms. In fact, I think we're going to be doing them right here. Um, so we want, you to, we want you to come. We want you to be a part of that. Just text the word baptism to 908-325-5163 or sign up in the foyer right afterwards. Um, just text the word baptism or sign up on the card there or come and come ready with some clothes on Tuesday night because we're going to be baptizing then. All right, church, can I give you one final response for all of us today before you, before you go? I told you about Mike. If it weren't for Mike, I don't believe I, I'd be here, that invitation. There are people in your life that that's who you are for them. That years from now, they would, they would look back and they'd say, if it wasn't for her, if it wasn't for her invitation, if it, wasn't, if it wasn't that she just extended that in that moment, I didn't know where I was. Man, I had rejected everyone else and I had rejected her a hundred times. I would rejected his call every single time, but there was something different about this one. There was something going on in my life he had no idea about, but when he extended the invitation, I came 
and I heard, and my life was never the same. I'm just believing that there are hundreds of testimonies like that waiting in the, in the wings. There are people in our lives right now that don't yet have an, a relationship with Jesus. And for me, I know what happened. I identified those people in my life, and when I came to Christ, I prayed for them, and I reached out, and I did everything I could just to invite them to come and see, to invite them to services, to share the gospel with them. And so leading into this Easter, I'm believing this is a season of harvest. This is a season where God's, we know their name, God knows their name, and pretty soon we're believing their name is going to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life for eternity, that they will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We all have people like that in our lives. I want you to take another step today as you leave. We created a prayer wall out in the foyer. And this week, our staff and our pastors and our leaders, we've all identified people in our lives that we're believing in these next few weeks, in this Easter season, that they're going to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we've just written their first name on our prayer wall that's out there. And you'll see it's on like a kind of a glass wall. And we're just believing that within this season, God is going to use something in our services, something in, a, in us sharing to see them come to saving faith. And in first service, we invited others to go out and do that. And now we have a wall that's just being filled up. I want to encourage you, church, would you come and with a first name of those in your life, maybe it's one, two, three, four people that you're believing in this season are going to come and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you'll invite them to come come and see. And we put a verse there that we're just claiming in Jesus' name that all of them will come to know Jesus. And it's in Acts chapter 2. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. This is what we're believing in this season. Will you believe with us for a harvest of people, a harvest of lives to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? That's what I want to pray for as we go. But you alone know those names. And I always encourage you, just with a first name, we don't need to add last names and social security numbers and all that. We're not trying to embarrass anyone, but we want to, I think there's something in that moment. And I told, I told some of our staff that I could still remember in my basement where my room was. I had the name of every one of my friends that came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Their first name's written on my wall. And then the day that each one of them accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I'm just believing in the same way that as we pray and we're intentional that God's going to use our lives to be divine appointments for others and to see others come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So right now, as I'm praying, I want you to ask the Lord for those names. And before you leave today, would you just go by there, grab one of the markers and just write that down and say a prayer, Lord, save them. For some, they're prodigals. Would you bring them home, Lord? They've fallen so far from you, but Lord, draw them back in this season. Let's pray together. Would you stand to your feet? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our Redeemer, Lord God. My Redeemer lives, Lord God. He is alive, Lord. You've set us free and you've given us a brand new life. And today we worship you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you for the good news of who you are. We're thankful, Lord, today we don't have to be afraid because you have redeemed us and called us by name. We are yours, Lord. And there's others that you're calling by name even in this season, Lord God. And as we think about those and as we reflect on them, we ask now, Lord God, that you'd give us those divine appointments, make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit, help us to extend the invitations, even to our Easter services, Lord God, to come and hear the gospel, the good news of who you are, that many would be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God's good, hallelujah, praise God. As you're leaving today by the exit doors, you'll see we have some cards, some invite cards for Easter. Take those. We have three full services and Good Friday to invite people to. Um, make sure you sign the wall. If you need prayer, we, I'll invite our prayer team to come to the front, and we'll be here to pray with you if there are any special needs in your life now. God bless you, and we'll see you next Sunday.